God, our Father, we thank you for the wonder of Christmas and that as we lead up to it, we can reflect on it and find great joy. And we pray that you would help us to do that now and that you would strengthen us and help us to understand Christmas, to understand Christ, and so be built up. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to start this talk by asking you a question. It's a simple question, but perhaps the answer is not so simple. It's an ominous question that many have pondered. They've plumbed the depths of it and thought of it for years and years and years. And the question is this. How do you celebrate Christmas? It's a strange and ominous question because it basically seems like everyone has their own way of celebrating Christmas and you can do it however you want and call it celebrating Christmas and oh, that's celebrating Christmas, isn't it? Congratulations. Let me tell you how Sarah and I have been celebrating Christmas. Last week, uh, we did some Christmas celebrating. We bought our very first Christmas tree. We're coming up to five years of marriage, but we decided that we wouldn't get a Christmas tree because, hey, we're never home at Christmas anyway. But this year we decided, no, now is the time for a Christmas tree. And so off we drove out into the middle of nowhere to pick up a Christmas tree at a Christmas tree farm. We chucked it in the trailer and we brought it back. Then we set it up in our house and we decorated it with lots of pretty things and as we decorated it, we, as we decorated the Christmas tree, we watched a Christmas movie, we listened to Christmas carols, and we ate sushi, <laughs> which is very Christmassy, I'm sure you'll agree. But there are many ways that we and our world celebrate Christmas, isn't there? There's consuming copious amounts of food and drink, there's spending time with family, there's Christmas Day gatherings, there's Christmas Day traffic, there's lavish amounts of money. Spending on gifts. There's having sacred holiday time that no one else is allowed to touch, especially my workplace. (laughs) How do you celebrate at Christmas? And more importantly, what do you celebrate? Because how you celebrate, well, that shows you what you celebrate, doesn't it? So what are some of the things that people celebrate at Christmas? All kinds of things, right? The people of our world. Peace, prosperity, the blessing of family, Life, friendship, goodness, kindness, love, many things. But as Christians, the answer is easy for us, I think. What do we celebrate at Christmas? Jesus. It is called Christmas, after all, isn't it? We celebrate particularly Jesus' birth and everything that that means. But today I want us to stop and reflect on that very thing, everything that that means. I want us to stop and ask, do we really understand the miraculous event of Christmas? Do we really appreciate the wonder of Jesus' birth? Do we really understand and appreciate that Christian truth that has been believed through the centuries, that there is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that at the first Christmas, God the Son came down from heaven to earth and became man? Jesus of Nazareth. Do we understand and appreciate that miraculous truth? What gets called the incarnation or God in the flesh? So today, that's what I want to stop and think about before the silly season gets too silly. So let's stop and ask. You've got these headings on your outline. Let's ask, what does it mean that God became human? Both what it means for Jesus, but also what it means for us. And then I hope we will really see what's worth celebrating this Christmas. 
So we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 1, a letter from the New Testament, and ask those same questions. First of all, what does it mean that God became human? Look again, Hebrews verse 1, verse 1. Sorry, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. The writer starts by introducing us to a few characters. First of all, we meet God, the God of Israel, the God of the Old Testament that you read about there. The one who created the universe simply by speaking. The one who called Israel to be his special people and loved them. And then we meet the fathers. That's the nation of Israel, the Old Testament people of God. And it says God spoke to them. How? By the prophets. He sent his spokespeople to bring his words to his people. And he spoke in other ways too. But then, the writer says, then God spoke in a different way. A new way. Verse 2, in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son. God sent someone unlike all the others that he had sent before. His son. So who is this son, God's son? Now, we might know the answer. But let's pretend just for a moment that we don't know the answer. And let's look in our Bibles and see who this son is. What is he like? So have a look there. Verse 2, he's the heir of all things. That means he owns everything. It's his by inheritance, by right. It belongs to him. Why? Well, because then it says, God made the universe through him, through the Son. Somehow this Son was involved from the creation, from the very beginning, involved in the creation of all things, and so he owns all things. And if you look at the end of verse 3, we see that the Son sustains all things by his powerful word. This son holds the universe together simply by the words of his mouth. What incredible power. But as if that wasn't impressive enough, have a look at these. The real clincher at the beginning of verse 3. Please look at these words in your Bible. They are astounding. Verse 3. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature. Do you see the scandal of these words? God, the one who is blazing with light and holiness and power. God, the creator of all things who spoke and the world began. The one who cannot die. The one who always has been and always will be. He, the one true God, the only real God. His glory and his nature They are seen and expressed in this one person perfectly, his son. So who is he? That's the question that has to be on our lips, right? And you may have known the answer your whole life since you were in Sunday school. 
You may have learned the answer more recently than that. Or you may be about to be here that, that answer for the very first time now. Who is the son that Hebrews is talking about? It's Jesus. You would have done well in Sunday school if that was your answer. Jesus Christ. Jesus, the supposed son of Mary and Joseph, who was born in humble circumstances 2,000 years ago in a stable, apparently, in Bethlehem in the nation of Israel. He grew up in a backwater town called Nazareth. He was poor and physically unimpressive. He was uneducated and unlikely to be anyone noteworthy. So how can those verses we just read from Hebrews, how can they be referring to this man, Jesus? How can this regular Joe, it would seem, Jesus, how can he be the radiance of God's glory, the exact expression of his nature? How can any human be that? There is only one way. And the one and only way is that Jesus must be more than a man. He must be God become man. Which is the miracle of Christmas. Jesus is both God and man. God in the flesh. One person who is both truly God and truly human. The Bible doesn't try to solve that puzzle for us. It says both are true. This is what we declare when we stand up and say the Nicene Creed together. Jesus is God from God. Light from light. True God from true God. It's saying he's God. This is what we sing in our Christmas cards. We sung it tonight. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Listen to how the Apostle Paul puts it in Colossians 1. It says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, Jesus. This is how God decided he would speak and reveal himself in the last days. God the Son would take on human flesh. He would humble himself and become man. That's what the miraculous miracle of the first Christmas is. God the Son, he has taken on humanity and stepped into his own creation. God in heaven came down from his throne and took on the lowliness of humanity. Shouldn't that blow our minds? It's an incredible and miraculous truth. Jesus is God become man. Now you might say, Troy, that sounds really great, but what does it mean to me? Why does it really matter? Well, here's just two ways that the miracle of Christmas matters. Two ways that it really matters that God became man. And the first is also in Colossians 1. Here's what Paul says. If Jesus is God in the flesh, then he is the image of the invisible God. God is invisible. We can't see him. If you try to, you will fail. And if you succeed, I want you to tell me because I don't know how you did it. God is invisible, but he has revealed himself in Jesus. Jesus Christ is his image. So if you want to see the invisible God, 
Where do you look? You look at Jesus. In his words and actions, you see what God is like. You see God himself. Nowhere else do we see God more clearly than in his son, Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the exact expression of his nature, the radiance of his glory. God has revealed himself in a remarkable and generous way to us, hasn't he? He has shown us so much of himself in the life of Jesus. When we see him, we see God. Now, where do we today hear and see Jesus? Well, we read about him in the Gospels, don't we? We see the life of Jesus. And as we see the life of Jesus, we see God's compassion, don't we? His kindness, his mercy. Yet we also see his holiness and power as we look at Jesus' zeal. When we see those things in Jesus, we see what God is like because he is the image of the invisible God. So don't go looking for God in places where you can't find him. In fact, don't go looking anywhere except for in Jesus. Because in these last days, God has spoken through his son. He is the image of the invisible God. If you want to see God, look no further than Jesus. That's the first big implication. But the second one is similar. If Jesus is God in the flesh, then shouldn't our response be amazement and worship? Shouldn't we be amazed that God would do such an amazing thing? And it is amazing, isn't it? It's wild. It's unimaginable that the God of the universe would say, Hey, I'm going to come down as a baby and do life with my creation. It sounds insane. Let's be amazed by this plan that God came up with, amazed by Jesus, God in the flesh. And even more so, let's worship him because he is not just a man. He is God become man. So we should worship him, listen to him, live for him, give up our lives for him. This is what he deserves as God in the flesh. But there's more to the story that I want us to think about tonight. This is what it means that God became human for Jesus. But what does it mean for us? What did it achieve for us? What does it mean for us that God became human? Well, flip over to Hebrews 2, which we read before. What did we see there? We learned, didn't we, that God had to become human. Why? In order to save us. Jesus is God become man. Why? For our sake. Jesus is God in the flesh so that he could save us. This is again what we say in the Nicene Creed and our carols. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. So look at Hebrews 2 verse 14 with me. Now since the children, that's God's people, since the children have flesh and blood in common, that is they're human, Jesus also shared in these. He became human. Why? So that. And then the author gives us three so that's. Three ways God became man for us. And the first one is that Jesus is our victorious king. You'll see the headings on your outline. Look at it again, verse 14. 
Now, since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these, so that through his death, he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. Why did God become man? To fight and win our battle for us. To fight and win the battle that we could never win against sin and death and the devil, our greatest enemies. No mere human could fight this battle. Every human is led astray by the devil, aren't they? Every human falls into sin. Every human dies because the wages of sin is death. And so it seems in every human life that the devil wins. Sin wins. Death wins. So we live in slavery to death and in fear of it. It is coming. And we cannot stop it. But Jesus, he is not powerless to stop it. Why? Because he is God in the flesh. Jesus, God become man, he was not led astray by the devil. He did not fall into sin. Jesus did not deserve to die. So when he did die on a cross, his death could pay the price for our sin. His death could free those enslaved by death and instead they could have eternal life. Jesus is our victorious king, like a king going out into battle to fight for us, to protect us and save us. Only God in the flesh could do this. No mere human could. And the second way now, that God became man for us, is that Jesus is our priest. Have a look at verse 17 with me. Therefore, Jesus had to be like his brothers in every way, so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. No mere human being, if you think back to your Old Testament, no mere human being could be a perfect priest. A priest who could stand before us and God, who could stand between our guilt and God's righteous judgment. Because every priest was also a sinner. And they had to offer sacrifices for themselves. How could they be a mediator between us and God? But what does Hebrews say? It says God became man. Jesus had to be like his brothers in every way. Why? Because only then could he be our faithful high priest. Sinless. A perfect mediator between us and God. Only then could his death on the cross make propitiation or atone for our sin. Only then could God's anger be satisfied as Jesus hung on that cross. So he is our faithful and merciful high priest. Only God in the flesh could do this. No mere human could. And the third way that God became man for us is to be our helper. Look at verse 16. For it is clear that he does not reach out to angels, but to help Abraham's offspring, those with faith in God's promises. And in verse 18, for since he himself, Jesus, was tested and has suffered, 
he is able to help those who are tested. Us. Jesus is God become man to help us. To help those who are helpless. Helplessly sinful. Helplessly guilty. Helplessly under God's anger and judgment. Helplessly unable to save ourselves and pay the price for our sin. He helps us in our greatest need. Only God in the flesh could do this. No mere human could. Jesus is God become man. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. Why did he become man? So that he could be our victorious king and our priest and our helper. Only God in the flesh could do that. Let's thank him that he did, right? That is what the miracle of Christmas is all about. That is what is worth celebrating this Christmas. God became man. Jesus is God become man for us. And that wonderful truth, it deserves a response, doesn't it? So how should we respond to the wonderful miracle of Christmas as we come up to it this year? Well, let's finish by thinking about that. First of all, if you are not a Christian, not someone who has put their faith in Jesus then your first response must be what I was talking about before. To be amazed by Jesus and worship him. To turn your life around to worship the one man who is God, Jesus. So can I urge you to use this Christmas as an opportunity, an opportunity to investigate who Jesus is and what he has done. An opportunity to read the Bible with a friend or by yourself or to come and do Christianity Explained with us or come to our Christmas services next week. Find out who Jesus is. See that he is God become man and then turn in amazement and worship. That is what he deserves. And if you are a Christian, if you're already amazed by Jesus and you already worship him, then can, I just want us to reflect on one way that we can respond. And it's to do with the question I started with. How do you celebrate at Christmas? Because there are so many things vying for our attention, aren't there, at Christmas? Food and gifts and family and holidays and travel and arrangements. It's unending. But we need to remember that at Christmas, Christians celebrate Jesus, God become man. Now, there are many wonderful ways that we as Christians do that. And it's great. We have our Christmas services. We come and we meet here and we encourage each other. Jesus is God in the flesh. We sing songs of worship to Jesus. Great Christmas carols. Maybe you or in your family, you read Advent passages leading up to Easter. Oh, I made that mistake again. Christmas. It's good. It helps you to make sure you're listening. Christmas. That's great. All those things are really good. I'm not saying we need to totally revolutionize the way we do Christmas. But here's just one way I think we can celebrate Christmas better as, Christ as Christians. I think we can celebrate Jesus better at Christmas by talking more about him with those who need to know him. What do you talk about when you're with your friends, or your family, or your co-workers at Christmas time? When you get together for a family meal or a Christmas party or whatever it is, what is it do you talk about? If you're like me, then you'll talk about the weather, the events of the year, the carols in the domain, which is on tonight, which is really weird. How much you like ham, which is a lot. Can I get an amen? Yeah. 
Thank you. <laughs> what do you talk about at Christmas, aside from him? Because if the meaning of Christmas is the birth of Jesus, if it's about God becoming man, being born into this world, then why shouldn't we talk about Jesus? Why shouldn't that be the way we celebrate? Why shouldn't he be on our lips? If he is the meaning of Christmas, if it is named after him after all, Christmas, let's declare his praises this Christmas. Let's proclaim Jesus, God in the flesh, the meaning and hope and joy of life and of Christmas. So why don't you join me in speaking about Christ, this Christmas. Why don't you set a goal with me to speak to somebody in your family, somebody at work or a friend. In fact, why don't you decide right now who that person might be. Whoever that person is, pray for them now. And then tell them this Christmas about God become man. About Jesus, the radiance of God's glory, the exact expression of his nature. Well, why not tell them what it means for us that God became human? Tell them that Jesus is our victorious king who defeats death. Tell them that Jesus is our priest who saves us from our sin. Tell them that Jesus is our helper who helps us in our greatest needs. Let's pray that we will be bold to speak of Christ this Christmas. God, our Father, you have come up with an amazing plan of salvation for humanity. And we are again amazed at the wonder of it. That God the Son would come down and walk the earth as a man is beyond our imagination. And you deserve all glory and praise for such a plan. And we praise you 